Can I get a, there we go. Thank you very much. All right. Like I told you before, I'm actually not preaching tonight, but I did want to introduce our preacher for tonight. Um, I, I've shared this before. Some of you might not have heard this. I was an SFA student <coughs> from 07 to 11. Um, and whenever I look back at the time, it felt like I was, I walked through these doors by accident. Um, I had grown up in the church, but none of it had really sunk in for me. It didn't really mean much. Uh, and I had a lot of questions, to be honest. Um, and then through a number of different circumstances, God actually began to work in my life and open my eyes to see that uh, I needed something more. Um, but I still had a lot of issues and a lot of questions to work through. Uh, and just by God's mercy, I crossed paths with Kyle Easley. Um, and uh, I, I fired away a ton of questions at him, and he responded really graciously. He was really patient. Um, and a lifelong friendship began at that point. I came to know the Lord shortly after that, and a large, of that, large part of that was due to Kyle's influence on me. Uh, he was the first guy that I heard who actually preached the Bible faithfully. He was the first guy that I saw actually walk the life uh, that Jesus has called us to walk, um, and he poured into me like a friend. Um, and so it's a privilege and not only to introduce him tonight, but to get to work alongside him uh, and to continue to learn from him and just be around a good friend. And so I'm excited for you guys to hear from Kyle. I know a lot of you know him. But some of you might not have ever heard him preach. He's a lead pastor here, but he's filling in for me tonight. So join me in welcoming Kyle. That's right. That's right. Man, I feel way better about myself now than I did before. Thanks, Roman. That means a lot to me. Uh, most of that wasn't true, but I appreciate Roman being kind. Um, if you would open up to Mark chapter 4. Uh, it really is. This is home to me. Uh, we, my wife and I moved to Nacogdoches in 2006 for Crosspoint. Uh, at that point, Crosspoint was about 40 of us. Uh, Jerry Kerr was there every time. So Jerry has never missed a ministry event in Nacogdoches because I'm pretty sure he's an angel. But Jerry was here. There's about 40 of us. And, and really the last 10 years of my life to see the Lord do what he's doing on this campus. And then, like Roman said, in 2007, met a guy named Roman Wally. And uh, just to see story after story like that and, and for Roman to be back now as the college pastor, I'm usually here in the back, uh, like watching and praying and, and just enjoying Crosspoint itself. And so it's, it's an honor for me to be back tonight. Uh, I'm excited, especially because I get to preach a text that if I, if I were to write down as a college student the main questions I had spiritually, this text actually answers the main question I had. And I grew up in church. Uh, I was a kid whose parents always taught me about Christ. I was baptized when I was seven. Um, uh, there's never a day in my life that I can't remember knowing who Jesus was, and so I'm deeply thankful for parents who taught me that. Um, but I would say that from really middle school through halfway through college, um, I kind of just learned to play the game of Christianity. I learned to speak the language. I learned to say things that weren't true because I knew that if you said them in church, it was the right thing to say. And all the while, for about 10 years of my life, probably the main question I wrestled with was why God seems so quiet. Um, and so I want to just talk about th that tonight. That's really what Mark 4 is about. For me, I heard people talking about this God who speaks. And so I wanted to hear him speak, and I would ask him to speak. And honestly, I had no idea what that meant. And for the longest time, I felt like I was crazy and, and that maybe everybody else was hearing something I wasn't hearing. And so honestly, there were 10 years where I remember going to events and going to things and hearing people talk about hearing from the Lord, but personally not really experiencing that and not really understanding that at all. And, and I remember going to college, and I remember I would go to church, I would go to events like this, I would go to small groups, 
and I got involved and I would hear all these other people talk about their experiences with God and it just made me really start questioning if what I had was real or if, if there was something just broken in me that, that it was just me that was off and everybody else had something I didn't. And thankfully, about halfway through college, there was a, an older man who came into my life and just began to walk with me through scripture and through what Christianity looked like. And, and so this text, I want to I encourage you tonight, if you've been there, uh, if God seems quiet to you, uh, this is a text that I think is going to help you out. Uh, the more people I talk with, the more people I realize that's their experience. They want to hear from God. They want to know who he is. They want to know specific questions that they have that they want him to speak into. And I can remember being on my dorm room so many nights in college, and I would get on my knees and say, God, I just want to hear from you. Would you please speak? I, I want to know who you are. I want to know what to do with my life. Uh, I was in this phase of my life where I didn't know what major to pick, and I was trying to explain to my parents what I was going to do with the rest of my life, and I had no clue. So I was like, God, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Really, the words we just sang, I would get on my knees and say, God, please speak audibly, send me an email, whatever you want to do, like any way you want to speak. I'm listening. I want to hear you. And I remember I'd wake up the next day, and th there would be nothing. And so I started to really question, is this whole thing real? Is it made up? Does God speak? And, and how does he speak? And, and really what happened along the way, is, as I said, I began to realize that, that God is a God who loves to speak. And I, I would go to scripture and I would see that, that we have a God who didn't just create the world and step out of it. He actually created the world and loved it so much that he became a human to walk alongside of us because he wanted to communicate who he was. And so I began to realize this is a God who doesn't leave us hanging, and he's not trying to be silent. There's, there's something that I'm missing in this. And, and the good news that I have for you tonight, and really what we're going to discover in this passage, about halfway through college, it dawned on me, the problem was not that God was unwilling or unable to speak. That, that's what I always assumed the problem was. Either he's unwilling to speak or he's unable to speak. I'm not sure. What I realized was I was unable and un unwilling to listen to him. It wasn't that God wasn't speaking, it was that I wasn't listening to him. In fact, if I could summarize my relationship with God, it was essentially like I wanted him to be my personal genie, that I would go to him and tell him what I wanted, and he would either give me that or not give me that. And so I would approach, I would approach the Lord on my own terms, saying, okay, God, here's my question now, answer it, and then I would get nothing in return. And I discovered along the way it wasn't his unwillingness and his inability to speak. It was my unwillingness and my inability to listen to what he had to say to me. And he was just speaking some very basic truths into me over and over and over again, beckoning me back to himself. And so I want to read this text. And, and this is a little bit of a confusing text for a lot of people. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to jump in. And Jesus, uh, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, Roman has been walking us through Mark. Jesus has become incredibly popular in the land of Israel. So he's been teaching, he's been working miracles, he's been doing the things that Jesus did. And so his reputation was growing, and that's kind of where we pick up at the beginning of Mark chapter 4. His reputation is growing, and all of a sudden, these crowds are hearing about Jesus, and they're wanting to know more about him. And so crowds are starting to come out. So M Mark chapter 4, verse 1, it says, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it in the sea, and the whole crowd was behind, beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in, in parables. And so I want to just stop there and, and just paint this picture for you. That this is a time in Jesus' ministry where we would say he was really at the height of his popularity. And so people had heard about Jesus and they had seen the works that he was doing. And so crowds are literally coming out to see him to an extent that he had to actually get into a boat to teach out of because the crowds were pressing in upon him. And what I want you to think about is that at that point in his ministry, if you were one of the disciples, you would have thought, this is awesome. 
Like, we believe that this is the Son of God. We believe that this is the Savior. And now, literally, Israel is flocking out to him to listen to him teach and to watch him. And this, it couldn't get any better than this. And so Jesus looks out at this crowd, and it's a crazy thing to think about, that in front of this crowd, instead of, instead of speaking plainly and clearly, we're told that he turns to this strange method called parables. So a, a parable is a story that's meant to, to really portray a spiritual truth. And you can see that as Jesus begins to speak in parables, he begins to tell these stories, the disciples are wondered, why in the world would you begin to confuse people with stories? Why don't, why don't you just tell them what you mean? In other words, why are you speaking in a way that doesn't make sense to people? Right, so, so that's kind of the setting. Listen to the rest of the story. Verse 2, it says that he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so, so I just like to picture this in my mind. Jesus, at really the height of his popularity, this crowd comes to him, and instead of speaking plainly and clearly to them, he gets in a boat and he just tells this story. And you can imagine at the end of the story, the people in the crowd's faces probably looked a lot like yours, where you're like, what in the world is he talking about? It's a good story about farming and seeds and, and grounds. But why in the world, at the height of his popularity, when all these people have come out to see him, would Jesus use this strange method to teach them? And in fact, look at the next verse. So it says that when he was alone, verse 10, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Uh, if you read Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel actually says the disciples pull Jesus aside and they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? In other words, this is the disciples saying to Jesus, hey, that's not a really good way to teach the people. We have no idea what you're talking about. They have no idea what you're talking about. And so you've drawn this huge crowd, and it seems like this huge crowd is really what we've been working for. And your weird teaching, these, these stories are actually confusing people and driving people away. Why do you speak in parables? Why do you use these stories? And look at Jesus' response. He said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, unless they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So, so as you read through the rest of the Gospels, and, and Roman's going to spend a lot of time of this in, in Mark, over 40 times this is how Jesus is going to teach. He's going to stand up and he's going to tell a story. And every time he tells a story, you're going to see in the crowd this strange division where half the crowd kind of understands it and half the crowd has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. In fact, the crowd that he begins to draw in Mark 4 is slowly going to dwindle away. And they're going to hear him teach and just say, I, I really don't understand anything this guy's talking about. And so the disciples are confused. Why at the height of your popularity would you use this method of storytelling and of parables and saying confusing things? Why don't you just say what you want to say? And I want to just point you to, to what Jesus says there in verse 11. He says, the reason I'm speaking in parables, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a crucial line in this. 
And he's saying that, it, that as I've gone and, and talked about who I am and revealed who I am and shown people that I'm the son of God, there are some, as Roman even talked about last week, there are some in this crowd that have received that and have had this accepting heart to believe that I really am who I say that I am. That I am the son of God that has come to save the world. There's some of you that you don't understand every aspect of that, but you've heard and believed that I am who I say that I am. And so it says that, that one reason I'm speaking in parables, I'm going to give more truth to those who've received basic truth, right? So that there are some you've, you've received and you've accepted, you've had a fertile heart towards basic truth to you who've received the secret of the kingdom of God, I'm going to give, I'm going to give more. And then the, the second part of that kind of bothers us. He said to those who are receptive, I'm going to reveal more truth. He also says the flip side is true. He said that there are some who have rejected basic truth about who Christ is and about what he's going to do. And he says, to those, I'm actually going to conceal truth. I'm not going to give them any more revelation, any more truth, because they've skipped over the basic truth about who I am and what I've done. And, and that seems like the weirdest thing in the world to me. That Jesus is affirming in that sentence, he's actually going to affirm, and he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6 there, that prophesied, this is how the Messiah will teach. But he's affirming, and he's, he's stating, I'm... I'm teaching in a way that is intentionally concealing truth from some of the crowd. That that's not an accident. That's the way I'm going to teach. And so I remember reading that and just wrestling with why in the world would Jesus do that? And, and feeling what the disciples must have felt. That why in the world would you not just come out and say what you need to say? Why would you teach in a way that conceals truth from some people? And, and I think the best way that I can possibly explain this is to think about what happens when you skip over basic truth in search of deeper truth. Right, so, so think about in your classes at, at, at SFA, if you are going to Spanish and you decide, I'm going to skip over Spanish 1, 2, and 3 and enroll in Spanish 4, is your experience going to be a positive one or a negative one? Negative, right? So if you're thinking about doing that, don't do it, all right? That's, a, that's going to be a bad thing for you. If you're going to skip over basic math, so if you, let's say you skip over algebra and trigonometry and geometry and you enroll in some upper-level calculus, positive or negative experience? Negative, right? If you skip math, you may not know what positive and negative are, but negative is bad, right? That's the bad one. So, so do you see what Jesus is doing here? There are people that have heard him explain who he is, and they've walked away and said, we're not going to believe that. And yet their longing is for some deeper and more profound and more relevant revelation in their life. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give you more profound and more rev relevant revelation for your life because there is some, there's nothing more important and more relevant than the gospel. And until you've received the gospel and accepted the gospel and trusted the gospel, you're not going to ask me for these other things and me give them to you because those things actually hurt you. That's a negative. And so rewind to, to, to my story in college. I had heard the gospel all of my life, and I would tell you most of it was up in my mind. I knew what it was. I knew who Jesus was. I knew that he died for me. I knew that he, he set me free from these things, but I in no way walked in that. And yet, I would get on my knees every night and ask the Lord to reveal to me some part of my life. In reality, I wanted to know, who am I going to marry? What job am I going to have? What major should I pick? So it was, it was things like that. I wanted further revelation from the Lord, all the while I was ignoring basic revelation from the Lord. And in his grace, the Lord didn't answer me to bring me back to the truth of who my God was and what he was doing. See, that's why Jesus says here at the end of that, he says, do you not understand this parable, the, the story about the farmer and the seed? He says, do you not understand this parable? If you miss this parable, how will you understand any of the rest of the parables? 
He he says, this parable, the, the parable of the sower, this is the basic truth of the gospel. He says, if you miss this one, none of the rest of this will make sense. All right, so, so look at what he does. Look at verse, 14, uh, verse 13 there. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand the parables? Something unique happens here. Jesus is actually going to interpret it for them. Right, so this is the first time he's used this method, and he can see that the disciples are confused. And so he pulls them aside. And he says, hey, I don't want you to miss this one because this is the most basic truth about me, and if you miss this, you miss everything. And, and this is the basic information of the gospel. Listen to how he explains it. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones who are on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of, this, or the, cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And so Jesus tells this story, and the disciples, he can tell that they, they don't, it doesn't really register with them why Jesus is telling the story. And it doesn't really register with them what the story means. And so Jesus looks back at him and says, listen, if you miss this parable, if you miss what I'm saying here, this is the basic truth. And unless you get this, no further revelation from God's going to help you. And, and what does he say? The, the story is really about two things, the seed and the ground. And I don't want you to miss this because for a lot of you, you've been seeking further revelation from God. You want to know details of your life. You want to know uh, these things that, are, that seem incredibly relevant and important to you. And I think the silence of the Lord is him saying, listen, there are basic truths and life-giving truths that you have skipped past thinking that there's something more relevant and more important for you to know. He's saying that there's, there's nothing more important than understanding the, the parable here, the seed and the ground. And so I want to just hear from you, what is the seed? Let's just talk about each of these for a minute. In the parable, what is the seed? Jesus kind of gives us the answer. What is the seed? The word, right? The, it's, it's the gospel. And so Jesus is, is drawing this picture that they would have been familiar with. It's a, a farmer who would go out into his crop, and in those days they didn't have tractors and heavy equipment. They would actually go out with a bag, and they would take the seed and just throw it. That was their real sophisticated method of farming. And they would walk up and down the pass, and they would just throw the seed and throw the seed. And essentially, they were hoping that the seed would land on good soil. And see, what Jesus is saying is the gospel is, is, is a seed. And, and what I want you to hear here is that the gospel as a seed, that's an incredibly strange image to use. So if you were Jesus and you were telling this story about the gospel, we, we believe the gospel is the most powerful thing in the world. It, it changes everything. And, and notice that Jesus doesn't say the gospel is a sword. He doesn't say the gospel is a hammer. He doesn't say the gospel is a fire. He uses this image, the gospel is a seed. This, this really weak, ins, insignificant thing. So I, I was eating a peach last night, and, and this is a peach seed. Right, this is one of the larger seeds you'll find in nature. Most seeds are much smaller than this. And even a peach seed, you look at it, and it's small and it's unimpressive. But there's this seed that you would look at and say, man, there's really nothing to that. But, but what is contained inside this seed? The, the life of a peach tree, right? In, in the right conditions, if you put this in the ground, the, the peach would, it, it would grow a tree, and then what would happen from that tree? 
that tree would have the ability to reproduce a bunch of trees. Uh, so, so Jesus uses this image of 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. In this one seed, there is the power of life. And so Jesus is using this image, and he doesn't say the gospel is a sword or the gospel is a fire or the gospel is a hammer. He uses something that appears to us to be weak and, wor- and worthless. It's just this little seed. It doesn't really, doesn't really matter. And see, what I want you to hear tonight is that the, the seed represents the gospel, that the gospel alone has the power to give life. And it was that sentence for probably 12 years of my life that God was trying to bring me back to. The gospel alone has the power to give you life. That was all that God was saying. And I was running by it, and I was running by it, and I was kind of acknowledging that it was true, but my life reflected nothing of that. And, and the reason I can tell you that is because I was looking for life in everything except for the gospel. So for me, life was going to be found in a relationship. And so I would pursue relationships, and I would get in relationships thinking that that was going to make me happy, and that that was going to give me life, and, and they couldn't. And then I pursued a success and a career, and I'm going to find this job that makes me happy. And I, I went down all these paths thinking that when I get this or when I do this, I'm going to find life. And all of them ended up empty. And every time I would get to the end of it, and I remember so many nights, I would go back to my dorm or I would go back to my room and just lay in my bed. And, and I would just say, man, God, what is wrong with me? And, and honestly, I thought I was the only person feeling that. I feel so empty. I feel so worthless. I feel like, like, like I don't know what to do. I don't know who to talk to. And the entire time there was this voice, and, and when I say voice, it wasn't audible, but it was just this, this yearning of my soul telling me, Kyle, there's something for you. There, there's something more that I want you to have. And so I'll never forget, it was the middle of my sophomore year of college, and like I said, I grew up in church, I knew the story, I, I could tell you about the Bible, I knew, I knew intellectual things about the Bible. And, and I got to know this older man in, in College Station, he began to take me out to lunch, and he began to like, just be a friend to me. And about three or four weeks into just going out and having lunch with him, I was talking to him and telling him about my life. And, and to be honest with you, I had completely lied about everything in my life, telling him things were good when, like, I was going back to my dorm and just, like, depressed and, and empty. But I didn't want him to see that part of me. So I was telling him, man, things are good. Life is good. I'm feeling okay. And, and I remember I was talking and having lunch with him one day. And he just stopped me in the middle of a sentence, and he said, Kyle, I need to ask you a question. And, and he paid for my lunch, so I thought that would be rude of me to say no. So he, he said, I need to ask you a question. And I said, what's that? And he said, do you believe that God loves you? And, like, that was the easiest church answer ever, right? So if you've been to church, you know the answer to that one is yes. And so I was like, yes, I believe that. And he looked back across the table in, in the most kind and loving and patient way, and he said, no, you don't. And he said, I look at your life, and you can say you believe that, but the way you live your life shows me that you don't believe that. And I remember in that moment, if you've, ever, if you've ever had anybody speak truth to you that bluntly, it kind of offends you at first. And I was like, man, who is this guy? But he paid, he paid for my lunch. I was like, I'm going to eat my lunch, and I'm going to enjoy it, and then I'll never see him again. All right? Then I'll be done. And I remember going back to my dorm, and, and, and for the rest of the lunch, he just began to share with me about the grace of God. And he said, Kyle, I have a feeling that you're a church kid who grew up learning to follow all the rules to be good and to, to basically prove yourself to God. And he said, I want you to know the gospel is not what you're doing for God. The gospel is what God has done for you in Christ. He said, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove yourself. On your bad days, God is not ashamed of you. On your good days, it's not like God is, is like super excited because you're, you're getting it all right. He said, you have a God who loves you unconditionally. What that means is on your worst and best days, his love for you is steady. He said, if you believe that, your entire life's going to change. And I remember going back to my dorm, and I really do remember thinking, I'm never going to talk to that guy again. Like, he dug too deep into my life. 
But I remember getting in bed that night, and I was laying there, and I just started weeping. And I was like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, but that's true. Like, I've worked my entire life trying to get to you, and I can't do it. And this guy just shared the gospel with me that because I can't get to you, Christ came to me and gave me life. And see, it was that message, the gospel alone has the power to give life. It was that seed that was sown in my heart 20 years ago that produced life. And so I want to encourage you that, that the next morning when I woke up, I remember laying in bed, and, and I remember that week or shortly after, I remember getting on my knees for the first time, and I think it was the first time I had an on, honest conversation with God. Like I dropped the pretense, I dropped all the church language that I knew, and I remember just getting on my knees before the Lord and saying, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want any more to just come to you with my demands and come to you with my requests and basically treat you like a genie that has to answer me. I want to, I want to know you. And I believe that Christ died for me, that, that now I'm acceptable before God because Christ came for me and he died and he changed places with me. And so God, I just want to know you and I, I want to open your word and hear from you. Would you help me to know how to do that? And I woke up the next morning and I remember walking to class and thinking, did God hear that? Like, did, did that hit the ceiling and not go any further, or is there really a God who, who heard that? And, and I look back over 20 years, and, and God has taken this little seed of faith, and he's just grown me. And so I still have a ton of questions. I still have a, I still have a ton of struggles. I have a ton of things I don't understand. But the Lord has begun to just breathe life into me that's completely based on that one sentence, that the gospel alone has the power to give life. And so my first question would just be, do you, do you believe that? And, and the indicator of that is, what other things are you looking for life in? Are, are you chasing relationships, saying this guy or this girl is going to give me life? And I, I just want to tell you bluntly, they can't do it. Are, are you chasing some major or some job or some success down the road, saying, when I get there, then I'll have life? Are, are you chasing something and thinking, when I get to that point, I'll find life? See, the gospel is a seed. It alone has power to give life. The second part of this is, is absolutely true. What does the ground represent? So the farmer is throwing seed, he's throwing this powerful gospel in the form of a weak seed into the field. And what does the ground represent in the story? That, that, that's us, right? It's the, the heart that the seed lands on. Right, so when the gospel is spoken, when the, the good news about who Christ is, that Jesus lived and died and rose again, and sin and Satan and, and death were defeated forever, that that is spoken. And, and when it's spoken, notice what Jesus said happens. He said, when the, the, the seed of the gospel, the, the good news of what Jesus has done is spoken, three-fourths of the crowd don't get it. And he, and he actually walks you through exactly what happens when the seed is sown. And, and I want you just to, to read this and to try to examine your own heart. Um, it's easy for me to read this and to think about other people. And I can tell you that 20 years into following Jesus, all four of these still describe me. I have to wake up in the morning and say, God, are there places where that just describes the way that I'm acting towards you? So listen to what he says. He says, there's this first seed, and it's thrown on the hard ground. Um, on, in, in those days, you can think about a dirt road that has been walked on a lot. So when the farmers were walking up and down the, the field to sow their seed, they would form a path, and it would just be this hard dirt, this hard clay. And so when the seed would fall on that, obviously there's no way for the seed to sink in at all. So the seed would actually just sit on the surface. And Jesus, look, listen to what he says. He interprets this for them. He says, verse 15, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes, it away, uh, takes away the word that is sown in them. Uh, that, that language, I don't want you to miss that. that. That he's saying that these people actually hear the gospel with their ears. 
that they hear the word of God, they hear the truth of who Christ is. It's not that they're not hearing it, it's that they're hearing it and it has no depth, it, it doesn't sink in. And again, I can see this in myself. There are so many times where the Lord begins to convict me and to show me things that I need and, and I can just feel the enemy telling me the opposite. Telling me not to, to, to respond the way that I'm supposed to respond. And so I can tell you that, that in this room tonight, there are going to be some of you, as, as you begin to interact with the Lord, you can feel the Lord calling you to step out. And you can feel the Lord calling you to admit your need for him and to find community to walk around you. And I can promise you, as you begin to feel that, and as you begin to hear that voice, you're always going to hear the voice of the enemy who's telling you, don't do it. It's not worth it. And so many times, I was a kid who went to church, and I heard the word. I was even convicted by the word. I, I knew that what the guy up there was talking about was true, and I knew that I needed to do something. But I would hear the word and just walk out of this place and be convinced, man, I'm not going to do it. And, and Satan would come and steal away the, the life that God wanted to produce in me. And, and, and again, there's still times 20 years down the road, I still feel that all the time. Where the Lord is calling me to take a step of obedience and I know I need to do it. I know I need to act. And I so quickly just say, okay, I'm gonna, I'll do it tomorrow. And then, then the next day I'll do it tomorrow again. And Satan just comes and slowly steals the life. Our, our hearts become hardened. Then look at the second one. It says there's a second seed, it's, it's thrown, and it lands on what Jesus describes as shallow soil. Um, the land in Israel, if you've ever been over there, it's pretty much covered with limestone. And some places the limestone has dirt over it, but it's only a few inches worth of dirt. And so he's describing a pretty common situation in Israel where the seed would sink in, but the dirt wasn't deep enough to sustain the growth. And so he says the seed, that this seed actually sinks in, and it actually sprouts, it actually begins to grow, but there's no roots to it. And so when the sun shines on it, it actually scorches it and the, the plant dies. And then he interprets it. He says, what, uh, what does that mean? He's saying basically there are some that they hear the word of God. They're the ones that are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. So again, incredibly convicting for me. There, there were so many times where I would hear a message and it would actually create joy in me. It would create something that I wanted to do. And it says it creates joy immediately. And it says, but they have no root in themselves. And, and they endure for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And so Jesus is describing this second soil, the, the soil of the shallow ground. He's saying there are people who hear the word and get excited about the word, but as soon as things get difficult, they're, they're done. The tribulation or persecution or hardship comes along, and it's not worth it for them anymore. And again, I can think about so many times in my life where I've heard from the Lord and began to realize he's got something for me, and then it just gets really difficult. And, and it, 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 it doesn't make my life easier. It makes my life more difficult. And at some point, I just say, man, I don't, I don't think this is worth it anymore. See, I can promise you if you follow the Lord, it's going to be way better than you expected and way harder than you expected. That's the way this works. And he's saying there are some who sprout quickly and they're really excited about this thing, but their life doesn't become immediately perfect and so they walk away from the Lord and just kind of do their own thing. Again, I can see that in myself. There are times where I have to see myself as the shallow heart. Third soil. He says there are some uh, that, that, that falls on the, the soil that is filled with thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And he interprets that and he says that the ones that fall upon the, the soil that's full of thorns, they are the cares of this world, verse 19 and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things, for other things enter in and choke the word and it, and it proves unfruitful. 
So you, you can see what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that in order for this seed to release its power, you have to push it deeper than anything else in your life. That it can't stay on the surface and it can't go a few inches deep. And what he describes there is that it actually goes pretty deep into someone's life, but there are other things at the same level as it. Right? So, so again, this can be, I like Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, but I also really want a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And if I don't get that, I won't be happy. I, I like Jesus, I want Jesus, but I also want my needs to be met, and I want him to kind of do things my way. And the way that Jesus describes this, especially for, for us as Americans, I think he's describing the American culture that we, we like Jesus and we, we really were thankful that he died for us. But it says that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it. That, that it takes the life that God wants to produce in us and it just begins to choke out everything good that God has for us. And so again, I can look at my heart and see so many times that, 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 that the, the cares of this world just begin to choke out the word. It, it, it takes it, and it just takes everything from what God wants it to be. And then finally, he says this about the fourth soil. He says, there, there's this one soil, verse 20, those that were sown in the good soil, the ones that hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and, and 100-fold. He says, as the, as the farmer throws the seed, three of the four soils that it lands in, it, it actually, at the end, doesn't succeed. He said there's one soil that when the seed lands, it actually sinks in and it's pushed deeper than anything else around it and it actually produces life. And it produces fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and, and 100-fold. Uh, well, the question that you need to ask as you read this, what is the difference between the first three soils and the fourth soil? And it's these words that Jesus uses, every one of them he said they hear the word. The fourth one he says actually accepts the word. And, and what does it mean to accept the word? To, to accept the word means that not only do I hear it, but I actually do what it says. Right? Profound thinking there. That I actually not just hear the word, I, I actually do what the word says. And that as I hear the word and, and begin to do the word and, and act on it, the Lord begins to produce life and produce fruit in me. Uh, the most convicting thing in, in my life is that I hear from God all the time, and most of the time I hear him so that I can consider if I want to obey him or not. I'll say, God, I want to know what you want from me, and if you tell me, I'll think about it. And if he tells me something that I don't want, or if his word says something that, that I, I don't like, I'll basically say, well, thanks for speaking, and now I'm going to do my own thing. He says, the one that has grown is the one that has heard it and accepted it. In other words, they begin asking this question, not only, God, what are you saying, but immediately saying, God, I'm going to do something with this. And I can't just be a hearer of the word, I want to be a, a doer of the word. I want to be someone who acts on it. And it says that because of that, it begins to produce fruit internally and externally. Your life becomes alive in a way that only the seed can produce life. And, and so I want to just challenge you with that parable and challenge you as, as Jesus tells this story. And he says that line, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the rest of the parables? And I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you skip over basic truth, why would you expect deeper truth? If you skip over the gospel, if you skip over what Christ has done for you, and if you fail to just obey the simple things, why would you expect me to keep telling you things that you're going to keep disobeying? And so that was the great irony of my college life. God had spoken very clearly to me in a lot of ways that I completely disregarded. And God had told me very clearly what he wanted my dating life to look like, and he told me about purity, and he told me about all these things that I completely ignored to do whatever I wanted to do. And then I would go to the Lord and say, God, why are you so quiet? And God was saying, God, why don't you just obey the simple things that you know to do? 
Like if you obey the simple things that I told you to do, I promise you, I'm never going to leave you hanging. I'm going to speak truth into your life, and I'm going to give you what you, what you need. And, and so I want to give you two questions tonight as we close up. I want to give you two questions, and it's the questions that, that I ask on a daily basis. Whether I go to the Word of God or whether I've had some experience or whether I'm wrestling with these feelings, there's, there's two questions. I think they're at the heart of what it means to be a disciple, and they're really simple. But the first one is this. What is God saying to me? God loves to speak to his children. He loves it. If he seems quiet to you, it's not because he doesn't want to speak to you. If he seems quiet to you, I would bet it's because you haven't learned to hear what he's saying. And what I mean by that is you skipped over the basic truth of who God is, seeking out something that you think is deeper or more relevant or more profound. And God is calling you back to the simple truth of how much he loves you and what you mean to him as a son or a daughter. So, so what is God saying to me? Every morning when I wake up, I get up and I grab some coffee, and I've got a eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a two-year-old. And so I have to wake up at like 5.30 to get any kind of like calmness in my life. And so I, I wake up at about 5.30, I get a cup of coffee, and I, I always just go sit at my desk, and I try to just stop and just say, God, well, I know you want to speak to me today. What do you want to say to me? What do you, and, and I'll tell you, I've, I've still never heard an audible voice. I'm hoping that someday he'll do that for me. But there's never been this audible voice. And I'll sit there, and, and what happens in my life, I'll sit there and I'll, I'll open up the Word of God, and I'll say, God, I know you want to speak to me in, your, in the Word of God. This isn't just an academic thing. This is the living, breathing Word of God. And so you've spoken. I don't have to wonder about that. This is yours. You've spoken a lot. I just usually ignore it. And so when I open this, I'm reading through the Psalms this year. I'll, I'll open up the Psalms, and I'll, I'll literally write it out because I've got ADD, and I'll think about other things. And so I'll open up a journal, and I'll write out the psalm, and I'll say, God, this isn't just random. This is not just some good words. This is the living, breathing word of God that you want to speak into my life. And so I'll read it, and I'll reread it, and I'll reread it, and I just write the question at the bottom of my journal, what is God saying to me? And it's amazing as you sit there and you read it, the, God, the Lord speaks every single time I do that. Sometimes it takes longer than others, but every single time I ask that question, he answers it. And, and I'll tell you a secret. It's usually not something deep and profound. It's usually stuff like this. This is literally what I wrote this morning. God, you love me. Period. And it's that truth that I need to hear again. Your truth just spoken into my heart that I don't have to perform. I don't have to earn it. You love me. And then the second question I ask is this. Not only what is God saying to me, but question number two, what am I going to do about it? That is the accept part of believe and accept of hearing and accepting it because I can hear from the Lord all day long and hear and hear and hear and then take no action and every time the Lord speaks to me he wants me actually to do something with it to to take action and so I'll, I'll usually just sit there and I'll say hey, here's what the Lord's speaking to me right now now what am I going to do about it that there needs to be some action where I get to put into practice the thing that he's just spoken into my life and so I'll sit there and I'll pray. And, and if you've ever had time with the Lord, there, there was a long time for me where it just felt very mechanical and it felt awkward and it felt like kind of like a first date where you don't really know the person and you're trying to figure out how to have small talk. And, and, and now what is awesome is just to sit silent before the Lord because that's what happens in real relationships. Uh, my wife and I went on a 12-hour date yesterday. We went and drove to College Station, went to a football game, came back. There was a ton of silence in the car. And it's not because we don't know each other and love each other. It's because we're so comfortable with each other that silence is not awkward anymore. 
And so I love waking up in the morning and reading God's word, but then sitting there and just being silent before him. And in that silence, here's what usually happens for me. I'll sit there in the silence and I'll have heard, God, you love me. I know that that's true. Now, what do you want me to do? And usually in the silence, that's where we begin to hear God speak. Remember, he told his people, I I don't speak like you speak. I don't think like you think. I don't act like you act. When I speak, I usually speak in this still, small voice of God. And there's been so many times as I've been sitting before the Lord, I'll tell you this morning, I was, I was sitting there, and my eight-year-old daughter is going to get baptized in December. And so we've just been walking alongside her, trying to explain to her what baptism is and what it means, and I've been trying to gather my emotions because I'm going to cry like a baby when that happens, and uh, like she's growing up too fast. And, and I was just sitting there this morning, and God had just spoken back into my life, I love you. And I was sitting there, and I was like, man, what, what do you want me to do today? And, and the what do you want me to do, he just put her face in my mind. And I just started thinking about how much I love my daughter and and how much I want her life to be perfect. And the Lord just, in that moment, reminded me, that's how I feel about you. That's how I feel about you. On on her terrible days, I don't disown her, right? On her best days, I'm I'm excited, but it's not changing the way I feel about her. And and I just remember just sitting there and just that falling over me, that that's how you, that's that's a fraction of how you feel about me. And then he told me, I want you to go and just tell your daughter how much you love her. I want you to just go be a father. And so I came to church this morning, and then I got home, and as I, I got home, my daughter had gone to the baptism class this morning, and she came running in and was just fired up about baptism and told me all that she knew, and man, I just got to sit there and hold her, and I just said, man, I want you to know how much I love you. I, I just want you to know that nothing you do could change that, and like, she probably thought I was crazy, because I'm like weeping, and she's like, dad, you know, let's get lunch, chill out. <laughs> but the Lord just speaks in, and, and I'm telling you, on a daily basis, if you'll start asking those questions, God, what are you saying to me? In his word, he will always answer that question. In your experiences, he will always answer that question. They're just, you're just going to have to learn to listen. And so we've walked with so many students about hearing the voice of the Lord and knowing what to do with it. And again, most of us are looking for very specific answers to very specific questions. And what I've found in my life is that usually when I have very specific questions, the Lord leaves me hanging because he wants me to learn to trust him. Right, I, I, I tell him, I want to know these things, and really, if I knew those things, it would, it, would, it would make it where I didn't have to trust him at all. And so the Lord has left me hanging, and usually when I ask a specific question, he just says, hey, trust me. I know what I'm doing, and, and I'm going to reveal my will to you when it's time to reveal my will to you. But in your daily experiences, the Lord wants to speak into your life. It's just going to take you slowing down and saying, okay, God, what are you saying to me right now? And, and then what do you want me to do with what you're saying? So I'll give you one last story, then I'll pray for us, and, and I'll close. But there was a couple years back where uh, some of the students that we work with, one of my interns and another guy, they were roommates, but they really didn't like each other. So some of you are there right now. If you're by your roommate, don't let them know that. But you're, 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 you just have this conflict that's always going on. And I'd been meeting with both of these guys one-on-one, and every time they met with me, they would meet with me and tell me how much they didn't like the roommate. And so I kept telling them that's really not a super healthy thing, and they were accountability partners, but they were lying to each other about not liking each other. So I was trying to navigate that whole thing. And uh, one time, uh, we, we went to Java Jackson. I pull up to meet this guy, and as he's getting out of his car, he looked like he was about to destroy something. And I was like, dude, what's going on? And he said, I just left my house, and I was, like, uh, I, uh, my, my roommate left the, dishes in the dish, or left the dishes in the sink, and I said something to him, and, like, they got into a fight to the point of, like, they were texting each other things that he didn't want me to read because the language got pretty vulgar. And, like, so he was, like, trying to hide his phone, and I was like, man, what happened? And, and he just told me. And so we had just been talking about this whole idea of asking God these questions. God, what are you saying, and what do you want me to do about it? And I said, okay, I just want to know, what do you think God's saying to you right now? 
And like, he looked so mad. He was like, man, I don't want to think about that. I was like, what do you think God's saying? And he looked at me and he said, I think God is telling me to forgive him the way that Christ has forgiven me. I was like, yep, you got it. That's it. Right, so it's, it's not nothing deep and profound. That's it. You need to do And I said, so the second question is this. You know that that's true. What are you going to do about it? And he looked at me and he was like, honestly, I want to go fight him. I was like, that is not, that is not the application of that truth at all. Right? And I said, so, so what's going on right now is you are hearing clearly from the Lord, but you will not apply it. And I said, so you're hearing these two voices. You're hearing the voice of the Father saying, go and forgive your roommate the way that Christ has forgiven you. And then you're hearing this other voice that is saying, if you get in a fight, you're going to win, so go fight him, right? And I said, so you've got a, you've got a, you've got a question in front of you right now. What are you going to do? And so I, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you alone. I'm going to let you pray about that. I'm going to let you think about it, but you need to go and do something. And so later that afternoon, he texted me, and he's like, Kyle, thank you for making me do that. I didn't want to do it, but he said, we went and had the greatest conversation ever. And he said, I feel like not only did God resolve the conflict, but I'm closer to the Lord now, and he's closer to the Lord now because we got to experience forgiveness together. And so if you're in a small group and if you're in accountability relationships, those questions will change everything. And in fact, your role in the lives of the people around you is to help people hear the voice of God. Uh, the, the sweetest promise of the Gospels is Jesus when he said, my sheep hear my voice. I'm a God who speaks, and the people that know me will, will hear from me. And, and so your job in your groups and your job in the lives of your friends, you have a God who loves to speak into the lives of, of his people. The problem is most of us just don't hear it. And most of us are too busy, and most of us think there are more important things that, that God wants to reveal to us, and we skip the really simple things that God wants to speak over and over and over. And so I, I'll close. I think for 20 years, the main thing that I remember when I wake up is how loved I am. And it was that man who told me 20 years ago, Kyle, do you realize how much God loves you? There's never a day that I wake up and that thought doesn't blow me away. That the God who created everything, the God who is holy, the God who is perfect, the God who not only knows my actions, he knows my thoughts, he knows my motives, he knows the depths of the wickedness of my heart, that that God loves me like a father. And so I'll wake up and I'll just remember that. And, and as I've learned to listen to basic truth and to follow basic truth, it's amazing how the Lord begins to reveal deeper truth to you. It's not that he's playing a game with you. It's not that he's got riddles. It's not that parables are this way where he's playing hide and seek from you. A lot of you have skipped the basic truth of the gospel, moving on to what you think is more profound and more relevant. And what I want you to know tonight is nothing is more profound, nothing is more relevant about than who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. And so I want to pray for us tonight. I, we're going to sing a few more songs, but I want you just to use this time, and I want you to ask the, those two questions. What is God saying to me right now? And my prayer for you guys all week has been that for some of you, you will hear the Lord calling you back home. And you will know from the Lord that, that the quietness that you have perceived in your life isn't quietness. That the quietness is the Lord saying, listen, don't move on beyond this. That, that you finding life in Christ and understanding what he's done, receiving him. And until you've accepted that, what else is it that you need to hear? So my prayer has been for some of you, you would just be able to sit here tonight and say, God, I know that you love me. I know that you're calling me to, to, to place my faith in you, to, to understand the power of the seed of the gospel and to be the, the fourth kind of soil. That's not just going to hear you tonight, but it's actually going to, to receive it and accept it and let it bear fruit.
And then for the rest of you, there's a lot of you who you've received Christ and accepted him a long time ago, but there's something in your life that God has been speaking for a long time and you've just been wrestling with him. You've just been telling him, I'm not doing that. And I'm telling you that when you get to that point, that's what a hardened heart looks like. I hear the voice of God, but I don't do what he says. And then I hear the voice of God again, and I don't do what he says. As you keep going down that path of hearing him and not acting, acting, your heart becomes harder and harder and harder to the point where you can't hear from God anymore. And so there's some of you tonight, you know exactly what the Lord's been speaking into your life for a long time. He's been calling you to step away from things you know you need to step away from, but they're costly, and so you don't want to do it. He's been calling you to forgive someone you don't want to forgive, but it's, it's costly and it hurts, so you don't want to do it. And there are these things that it doesn't take you long when I ask you, what is the Lord speaking into your life? He's been saying the same thing to you every time you open the word. You can't even read because you know exactly what he's saying and you don't want to, you don't want to hear it anymore. And so tonight, I just want to encourage you to not be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And however costly you think it is, I promise you it's worth it. And I promise you there are people around you who want to su support you and walk with you in that that as a community, we are shaped by those two questions. What is God saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? And that my role in your life and your role in my life is to help me not just hear from the Lord, but to follow him and to do what he's told me to do. So.